You're listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turk, Emily Yates, and Gerard Cuomo. All our current EMS providers and educators with a combined 30 years of EMS experience. Each month we discuss EMS news, medical science, and review actual EMS calls, offering many educational opportunities to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of all involved. Hello and welcome everyone to the uh, Medic Materials Podcast. I am Mike Turek. We're here with Emily and Gerard and Kelsey, newly minted, car-dripping EMT. Are now <laughs> resident <laughs> EMT. Sorry, you're now the resident nurse, nurse. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, with, I don't want to overshadow your excitement of being a new EMT, but I'm going to overshadow your excitement of being a new <laughs> EMT okay. today because Cue we music. have the coolest guest Good ever. <laughs> Cue music. Um, Everyone, I want you to uh, meet my lovely wife, Jess. She's a uh, flight nurse as well as a uh, volunteer EMT. And um, she's going to be joining us on this this call review because it does pertain to some flight stuff. So that'll give her the uh, opportunity to comment on it a little better than we would. We can just assume what they do. She can tell us this is exactly what they do. So hi. Hi. Thanks for the introduction, hon. (laughs) Um... What? Sorry, I have to. Okay. Please remember to introduce you this time. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. Inside story. <laughs> um. <laughs> the filter tried. It wouldn't stop. It's quite all right. I feel like with that story, it's totally warranted. Inside. I will be beat down for that among many for the rest of my life. It's okay. And I I still beat down on her the, the time that she punched me in the head while I was sleeping. So, I mean, yeah. each have their own, I guess. So. Um, okay. Can we give me a black eye doing that? <laughs> but he's the one that tells everyone, like, anytime he gets a surgery, he's like, ah, oh, my wife beats me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Corey. <laughs> So uh, we're going to dive into today's call review, and and typically this is our discussion episode, but as I stated in the last one, I wanted to throw this this call review in because it kind of touches on a lot of the things that, Gerard, make you and I very angry and why Mm. we teach a very specific class in our EMT classes, which we'll get to figure out which one. And um, it also touches base on the humanity aspect of what we talked about last episode. So kind of ties everything together without having just a, here's a discussion. I like when things get tied together. Yeah. At, at, especially on a bed. So, um, wow, nothing on that one? I didn't even hear what you said. I didn't either. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I was actually looking at the glitter stuff Gerard has as on his face. As soon as I said it. I didn't understand the joke. Wait, what did you say? I didn't even hear what <laughs> glitter right here. <laughs> I have glitter. You do have glitter. <laughs> I've been right. like staring like at it. Elf. <laughs> right little on. speckles on your cheeks. sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh shit. That <laughs> and then they missed it. No, yeah. I didn't hear it. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so to get this started, we're at a, uh, a very rural setting, right? Think... 
Gilboa, but worse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, if you know where Gilboa is, you understand Mason the reference. <laughs> Uh, you have a uh, a volunteer fire response. Two CFRs show up initially. You have a volunteer BLS ambulance with two EMT basics. You have one paid ALS ambulance with one EMT basic and one paramedic. And you also have the air medical helicopter, which is auto-dispatched in this situation by, uh, by 911, which carries one flight nurse and one paramedic. So... To this call, you have a lot being dispatched. Okay, I mean, for in the middle of nowhere, that's a huge response. That is a huge <laughs> response, right? It yes, and and you'll see why um, in a second. So hospitals in the area, you have uh, a local hospital twenty minutes away from the scene. It is a critical access only, so not a generalized go there, intubate, transfer out kind of thing. And then you have a pediatric trauma center um, by ground, one hour or 25 minutes by air. Okay, so those are your those are your two options for this uh, for this call. So dispatch ground EMS is dispatched a Delta priority or priority one for a two vehicle MVA. One vehicle is told uh, by dispatch that it was a rollover into a tree. Okay, so with that, do you feel like this response is good? If all that's being dispatched at one time, yeah. At all time, like one time, it's all, this is what we're dispatching going to send. Two ambulances, the helicopter, and the fire department. department. Yep. I mean, send more and not need them rather than send one ambulance and need three. So I'm all about it. Like I said, it's two cars. You're at the very least going to have two patients. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um... A short while later, you have uh, the fire response arrives first. They find two cars. We're going to say the first car is car A, okay? That car is found in the middle of the roadway. There's heavy front-end damage, no passenger compartment intrusion, front airbag deployment. You have one adult male patient sitting in the driver's seat who appears in significant pain. Okay. Um, Your second car, car B, is found on its right side, off of the roadway, leaning against a tree. There's heavy left side damage and roof damage. Both front and side curtain airbags have deployed. There's three patients in that vehicle. Two adult females, one pediatric female. Pediatric female is found unresponsive in the back seat. The female driver is out of the vehicle with a head hematoma. And the female passenger is entrapped within the vehicle. Now, we need to note that it's not because they physically can't get out of the vehicle. Like, they're wounded too much. They just can't get out the cars on that side uh the female pastor has a complaint of shortness of breath okay uh what before we go on where is your guys initially you guys show up as these cfrs what's your first thing to do here where where do you want to go from here before i tell you what they did make sure these are the exact number of patients we have and then get some more okay so what it, what else do you want that's not already coming? So you have an ambu- a BLS ambulance coming, you have an ALS ambulance coming, and you have a and then you have a an aircraft coming. <laughs> I'd say give me one more ambulance. Okay. One more ambulance. Okay. Uh, probably a wrecker. Uh, something that is going to be able to if the fire department can't extricate with what they have, something that we can use to stabilize that uh, that vehicle so they can really cut it apart without it toppling over okay anybody else would not even think of a wrecker Mm. it's not something that i think about either 
Like that's that's the fire department. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you come. cut a car apart or how you do that. Just do it. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Yeah, it, I'm just thinking if it's up on the side up against a tree, and the passengers on that downside, they're going to stabilize. Probably try to go in through the top, but mm-hmm. at some point it, it may not be feasible. So they might have to actually roll it back on its on its side. Wheels. Right, right. We need a record for that. No, I understand yeah. your point. I yeah, just no, no, would have no, never I'm, thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> We've been on our side forever. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, with, uh, let's see, it doesn't say, so heavy left-sided damage, so driver's side damage and roof damage, I mean, they could go through the front even if they want to cut out, yeah, roll the you dash, know, the, I don't even know about rolling dash, just take out the, you the, know, the front windshield and, then slide them out the and front. go out that way as well. Or the back, depending on where. Right, yeah. or the back, depending yeah. on, you know, if they didn't have the ability to just roll back on or. You know, have because how much cribbing are they going to have to be able to stabilize that? They might have to use the poles yeah. or something like that. But it's it's Never interesting to think about. A fire department. Yeah, you guys are talking over my head yeah, too. I don't know it's any okay. of it, that. It's, it's fire stuff. Right. Um, so <laughs> patient care wise, you guys want extra ambulances, which I think is is you know absolutely accurate here. Um, MCI, non MCI. You have more patients than you do resources to take care of that patient. Cool. So, you know, this is declare these CFRs can declare an MCI. They chose not to. Whether that's a, a right or wrong decision, we'll see. Um, patient care, where do you guys want to go first? Is there do you wanna just say, hey, let's tag people? Do you wanna actually physically assess people? How do you wanna look at four patients with two providers? With two CFRs. With two CFRs in two different vehicles. You go through all the patients and find find the life I think you tag. I think you do a fast triage, yeah. Okay, so tag. Awesome. These CFRs choose not to tag. They go right in and they say, hey, pediatric female, you're unresponsive. They went to the red herring, yeah. They went to the red herring, right? So they they do an emergency extrication to the outside of the vehicle. CFRs look at this pediatric female. They find her apneic and pulseless. What do they do? Start CPR. Start CPR, right? I'm with them up until there. They follow the red herring. I would rapidly extricate them out Mm -hmm. to assess them. Yep. And then they're a black tag. And then they're, but but yeah. you would black right. tag, right? And, and that's. I mean, I don't disagree with them going this, there first. That's not a bad idea. It, it, it's easily accessible just to remove them from. Right. If, and yeah, absolutely, yeah. that's the first one that I would check out too. If she's unresponsive, or he or she, I don't know, boy or uh, girl, she. whatever. I would get them out first, but the second that they're apneic and pulseless, you're yeah. you're in an MCI setting. Mm-hmm. Or you could have an, a fireman who's not a CFR do just uh, compression CPR. Mm-hmm. While you yep. continue on to the other patients and make sure there's no is, life threats. Is fire on scene? Or? So fire, um, I don't have exactly when they got there, but these two CFRs are there. That's the only ones at this time. Yeah. So it, it yeah. kind of is, you know, do you let one CFR get there? You know, do Take that. Impressions while I go and, and un, you know, the rest. Yeah, sure. Until maybe another. Do f- you? I'm just. I don't know if I would. Advocate. With two providers and four patients. I'm, like I said, three patients, three for, patients. I was gonna if, say. If they're so, gonna start CPR, it, don't both of you come out of the game? You know what I mean? It's. I don't think you can pull either out of the game. No, 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 I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm just saying what they did. They started CPR on the kid. Both of them did. 
Sorry, Correct. I wasn't paying that That's much attention. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So Thanks. Don't, 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 take <laughs> them, Gerard. don't take them both out of the game. Do yeah. If no, you're going to do it, just one. Yeah. Now, going through all the other tags, right? So we as a table would black tag the pediatric unresponsive female that's pulseless synaptic. That's right. that's a given. What about the the shortness of breath female that's still stuck in the car? You have to make sure they don't have attention pneumo. Right. So at least red up yeah. until this yeah, point because I mean, we don't know. Right. right. We have to assume. Uh, I'm going to green tag the, the, walking the walking around because... Yeah. Duh. Um, and what about the the gentleman in the other car with the with the pain? We don't know where the pain's coming from, but it appears that he's in a significant amount of pain. He's conscious. He's talking. He's conscious. He's talking. Yellow. Yellow tag. I'm I'm good with all those. So, um, one of each. Look at us go. What was that? One of each. One of each. Here you go. Right. So, um, they uh, to get back to the call. The CFRs begin the CPR. They're doing compression only at this point. The volunteer ambulance is next on the scene. They arrive five minutes later. So we're doing CPR for about five minutes at that point. Okay. Uh, they go and they step out and they see, hey, we have an unresponsive female getting CPR. So what do they do? They load the pediatric code into their ambulance and they continue resuscitation efforts. Now we've taken four providers on one patient. Correct. And the other three, the one is still sitting in the vehicle. Now, sidebar, this this call gets very complicated with a lot of moving parts. So I'm going to try and do my best to mm. keep you, there's going to be time jumps. I'm going to try and do my best to make it so you guys get a good, clear picture. So yes, at this point, you have four, four providers in one ambulance taking care of a code. You have the guy still sitting in his vehicle with pain. The other female still walking around with a head injury, and the other one's still stuck in the car. Is Short he breath. able to get out, the guy who's in the car, because of the car, or he can't get out because of his pain? Pain. Makes sense so far? That's awesome. So the resuscitation efforts continue. Manual compressions, they measure, and they place an oral airway. So... Kudos to them. Good for them. Good hey, for them. Airway. Wow. <laughs> um, they begin rescue breathing with a pediatric BVM with an infant-sized mask. Again, maybe this patient was tiny, right? Nobody really has given me a, a size of this uh, pediatric yet. So six minutes goes by, and the paid ALS ambulance arrives on scene. The, uh, the medic who... I assume would do what in this situation? Triage. Start, start triage, triage, right? Start looking at the, the Look at the bigger picture. No, they get in the volunteer ambulance still. Oh, no. So there's um, six providers on uh, one patient. In no, there's five. Oh. There's five providers inside one ambulance How do they for all a pediatric fit? cardiac arrest. First of all, clown car. It's a clown car. Lord. <laughs> um, and nobody, and nobody bothered else. to check on anyone else. Nope. Not at, not at this point in time. So you could potentially have two other people dying. Correct. Focused I mean, your shortness of breath could be not breathing at this right. point. Hell, your walking person could be dying, I know. too. Because we, we haven't really bleed. done an assessment bleed, on them. Internal bleed, something, yeah. I feel like Jess wants to say so she's glaring so at So you me. said the medic went into the ambulance. What about the paid EMT? So the paid EMT, 
stays outside and evaluates the other patients. Good for him. Good Kudos. Good for him, him right? Um, I don't know if it's a him. We're just assuming Whatever. it was a him. But that paid Probably EMT. She. she sounds smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to need to check that soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely you got that. I retract my previous statement. Um, so by this time, uh, the fire department was there, has been there, and has extricated the PED or the. P- <laughs> by this time, the fire department's gotten there and has extricated the female passenger that was entrapped in the rollover. Hey, go fire. Okay, go fire. EMT walks over. They find her conscious, alert, and oriented times four. No head, neck, or back pain. Airway is patent. Breathing is shallow and painful. Complains of shortness of breath and pain to the right flank. They lift up the shirt. Bruising is noted to the right rib area with equal chest rise. No lung sounds are taken. No vitals are taken. And no treatment is provided. Are you guys okay with that? I would have at least listened to lung sounds. I would have downgraded her to yellow, but definitely she needs needs attention. Needs attention, right? Um, I don't know if I would downgrade her yet until I... If I'm suspicious of a of a pneumo, I would listen. So I long sounds. Even if I don't listened. get vitals, if I don't, right, we would whatever, I would prefer vitals. But yeah. and again, this is kind of that 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 triage section where we're still not doing vital signs. We're right. still triaging right. people based on what we see. What you see. I'd still like to at least listen to long yeah. sounds. Like that, I would take the thirty seconds to, to do listen. that yeah, to make sure they don't have attention. Now, grant this EMT's not going to do much about attention. You no, know, but it's maybe not they like can, they can dart them. I mean, but they can redelegate resources. They can. Like, hey, they don't have lung sounds on one side. Right. Somebody you needs need, to come you over need here. You need to be over here right. kind of thing. Okay. Um, so the EMT then uh, switches gears and moves on to the female driver. This is the one that was standing, walking mm-hmm. around with a head This is our green tag. This was the green tag, correct. Uh, finds her to be conscious alert and oriented times four. Airway is patent. Breathing's unlabored. No neck or back pain. Um, complaints of left-sided head pain. And he finds, or EMT finds, a hematoma the size of a silver dollar above the right or above the left eye. Again, no vitals, no treatments are given for this. Good with that? Yeah, still green. Still green, I think right? so. Moves on. Uh, goes over, assesses the male driver of the other vehicle, who is at this point still seated in the vehicle. Conscious alert and oriented times four. Airways patent, no head, neck, or back pain. Breathing's unlabored. Complaints of significant pain to the left hip and groin area. Does not take the time to expose. No vitals are taken. No treatments are given. Are we okay with this? The wheels are turning. For triage, uh, leave him as a yellow. As the resources come in, we'll, we'll and once he's out of the vehicle, we can, uh, you know, actually put somebody on him. So, do we have the resources already there though? Yes. Yeah. See, yes. I would redelegate. Somebody needs re-delegate. to go check out the shortness of breath, and somebody needs to go check out him to do further assessments. Okay. A set of vital signs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pelvic fractures. You can have significant amount of a significant amount of bleeding, uh, so that patient could decom. Uh, you know. Decompensate rapidly. <laughs> Uh, so at least, at the very least, stabilize the fracture. I agree. Okay. But no, they decide to just meander back to the volunteer ambulance that has the code in it. Because that's now what, that's you, that's wait, what so good they just assessed, do, right? Hold on. They just assessed all three of them and just walked away. Walked away. 
It's definitely a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I take this back. It's so much so, more hope for this EMT. I'm pretty sure that we are all not okay with that decision. Because, <laughs> again, now you we're back to this is six six providers. And one ambulance. On, no, one patient. On, on one patient. Now, I don't have information from this call saying that the paid EMT actually went into the ambulance and joined the code resuscitation. But he, he might as well have because he's I'm, not doing shit for anybody else. I'm, I can only assume that this provider just meandered around the ambulance and I mean, didn't I really love do much else that he comes on scene and recognizes that everybody needs to be retriaged like i love the whole reassessment thing but then go back and actually assess these people Use right the information so you I yeah, like, let's do some stuff don't cover mcis in class really so first thing that you oh she didn't take your class i was gonna say don't cover you do <laughs> there's a whole like day you guys are all tagging these people and i'm sitting here being a sponge being like Take this information in, Kelsey. So who would you, if you are one EMT and you aren't even bothering messing with trying to get those five people back, who would you do first? Your red tag. Mm. Yeah. I thought we downgraded her to a yellow. Are we After, leaving her so red? So if you're, if you are one. I understand the red, yellow, green part. Right. If you're one provider. Yep. Right. You have to tag initially. Yep. And then go to your most severe. So at that point, your red tag. As soon as you get one more person. Now you can go reevaluate. If they change, then you can switch gears to somebody else. But if so you had, two, you had yellows. two yellows, which one do you go to first? Yes. Right. The respiratory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. So, so but you also have two CFRs somewhere on scene. You could grab one of them, send yeah. them to stabilize the pelvis. Yeah. But like hypothetically, if it was you and your partner and they're doing a code. If there's somebody standing there, I'd be like, stand right there, talk to them and tell me if anything changes. Mm-hmm. I don't even care if you're medical. Stand You're there just and talk a, to them. Get a cop. Yeah. Find somebody. There's so many on traffic accidents. <laughs> so Grab I one of them that and just have them talk to them. Anything changes, they'll be right back. But I would go for my respiratory too. Yeah. And the okay. only other thing I would, I would say that if your red tag is not accessible until fire gets them out, then go down the line from there. Yeah. To don't your, stand your there and yeah. wait. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, now you're doing nothing. nothing. Right. Red. Keep moving. Okay. We don't cover that, so I, I didn't hear that. Yeah, let me know when you get the mail. <laughs> I'm be over here doing something. All right, so now we're going to switch gears. You saw what happened outside the ambulance. Now we're going to move to the medic has just entered. We're going to go back in time a little bit, and we're going to enter the code ambulance, we're going to say. Okay, so the medic goes in, finds the pediatric patient to still be pulseless with CPR in progress. BVM rescue breathing is estimated at around 20 breaths per minute, still using the pediatric BVM with the infant uh, mask. The medic uh, places the patient on the EKG and pads. Initial rhythm, asystole. They obtain IV access, 20 gauge to the left AC. And oh, good for them. How old is this pediatric? Uh, Do we get an age? Nine. Does the infant mask fit is my question. We'll get there. We shall I'm going to go with no. There. If they're <laughs> nine, probably not. So, so. Really? Tiny nine-year-old? I mean, if you're Just only... The lips, hold on. So, so no, 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 no. If you're <laughs> only trying to BVM the nose, <laughs> yeah. an yeah, infant mask might work. Plug the nose and just. My question is, what condition is this child in? As far as they're dead. 
No, I, I get that. I'm talking about physical, <laughs> physical condition, bobblehead, things like that. Like, like. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, if I see that the kid has a snap neck with a lot of step offs, obvious I'm, sign of it, death. It's a pretty obvious. It's a know, traumatic arrest, unconscious, unresponsive, with no resources. I get that. My point is, is what does the kid look like? Something to clue them into. Hey, maybe you should stop doing this. That it's a lost cause and go back and start doing something else. All they see is a child. And I've seen it before on a ton of scenes. It is really hard for an adult, especially if you have kids, to say that this child is a lost cause. You're just heartless. No, it's really (laughs) hard. I can say it. Exactly. I don't have kids. It's really hard for providers to go on and be like, this is the one that we're not working. It sucks that they're nine. Just, it's a hard decision to make. It is a hard decision. And and I totally understand, you know, looking at it from that perspective. But also, Gerard, you have a very good point. Who has done a physical exam on this patient to find any of this stuff, right? A- according to what I have in front of me, nobody has done that yet. They just apneic pulseless, let's fix. Let's right. fix the resuscitate or, you know, the, the you know, pulselessness. So I would hope that eventually somebody looks at that foreshadowing. Um, So initial rhythm, asystole. Obtains IV access, 20 gauge left AC. Starts fluids, wide open. In there? Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) I was waiting for you. How much wide open? Wide, wide open. <laughs> like, how much fluid did they put up? Uh, we are assuming that since there's no mention of a thousand bag within the chart, um, we can only assume that it was a 250, 500 bag or less. But we don't know. We don't know exactly how much fluid was actually given uh, wide open. So that was, that was one of the talking points and we'll, and we'll get back to it. Cause there's a couple things here that we need to be, uh, we need to actually pay attention to just for, for guideline purposes, especially in pals. So, um, starts fluids, wides open or wide open, uh, gives the first epi one to 10,000 epi one full milligram, uh, not weight based, not weight based. <laughs> uh, so for the next 15 minutes, CPR is continued. Two further, one milligram, one to 10,000 epis are given. And this paramedic decides that they need to intubate the patient. And multiple intubation attempts are taken. All such fail. So there's no airway at this point. The OPA is never replaced once it's taken out. I can't imagine they were having adequate ventilations with an infant mask, however. (laughs) <laughs> Especially because they're just BVMing the nose. I mean, I have to assume that's what I see in my head is they're just BVMing the nose. We should well, there's do- different sizes, infant masks. Maybe it was the biggest one. Oh, kid. Yeah. Maybe this nine-year-old was super small. Like me when I was nine. I, I don't know. Um, we are going to assume that the ventilation continues with the BVM and the infant mask. No SpO2 is uh, is measured, and uh, there's an ETCO2, so an end title of four throughout this entire 15-minute process. Gerard is shaking his head in in utter Best. blasphemy. Yeah, I'm just... 
I just I, I don't know why they're they're still doing this with other people outside. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. We carry on. Air medical arrives on scene. Thank so God. now we have <laughs> maybe that's the, what I'm saying. Now now we have the flight crew, right? I hear um, the helicopter and like thank Jesus. <laughs> uh, so the air medical arrives on scene, and uh, the flight medic and the flight nurse both get out, and uh, the paid EMT who's been outside of the code what ambulance. What are they doing right now? standing outside Looking of the code pretty. ambulance um paid emt walks up to the flight crew and gives a report of you have one patient with a hip fracture over yonder one with shortness of breath over there <laughs> and um one with a head injury over there and one in cardiac arrest over there um so this crew decides okay this seems like a clusterfuck <laughs> We're going to call for a second aircraft right now because nobody at this point in time up until then has declared this an MCI. No one has asked for additional resources, nothing. So we still have exactly what this was dispatched with until the flight crew gets there and says, we should probably get some more things here. So we'll just ask for another aircraft. Why not? Okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything to add? I... Was the aircraft put on standby? Or did they actually call him to respond to the scene? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming. I I would assume that they just called them to the scene because who knows if the county would put two aircraft on standby if one's going. But I don't know how that works. That would be a you thing. So, um. <laughs> well, you can put the aircraft on standby so that they are heading towards Closer. you and, you know, standing by in the air, uh, in the area <laughs> if you need it. Uh, and then they're, they're, you don't have to, they're not actually going to land on scene until you say, hey, no, we really do need you. And at that point, that would make sense to have them come, have them be on standby, ready and available in the area. Uh, but until you've actually assessed the patients, you don't know if you actually need them yet. I like that. Um, I remember that. Mm-hmm. My next MCI. We just matched three <laughs> helicopters, but two on standby. That's yeah. a good idea, though. Why not? No, like, that's Hell, actually a really good idea. You guys did it the one day. Or at least you tried. I think I got three. Yeah. <laughs> two of yours and one from the other place. The one from the other place was en route. And uh, when I guess they realized they weren't needed. Yeah. Yep. Um, Give me them all. I mean, that's a yeah. great idea. Like, that's send everybody, and then I'll can't, I'll back you off as How many needed. I needed, and I said... All of them. All of it. As you can get me. Mm-hmm. So any flight time over um, eight minutes. So any 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 call that's over 15 miles away, which is about an eight-minute flight time, we would lift, and we lift and head towards the call. We typically stage at, like, town center, not directly over the scene, because we don't want to cause additional stress by flying right over everybody's heads. <laughs> watching you. I don't know. There was, there was one that they were, like... Circling Miami, we, yeah, but then I'm you're like, like, oh fuck, I forgot to cancel the helicopter. Go over the it. scene <laughs> just to like, you know, <laughs> be nosy and what's going on down there. But you know, we'll just do like a circle and then and then stage in you know at town center. Yeah, this is our mash fly by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say. Well, there was an EMT standing outside with a thumb in his ass. Uh, so these guys uh, decide they are going to now. 
start doing triage for themselves on the patients that have been neglected at this scene. So the flight paramedic moves towards the shortness. Uh, the flight paramedic moves towards the shortness of breath. Probably a good idea. Begins evaluation. Uh, they do a visual uh, evaluation and find a possible fractured rib on the right side. The patient still complains of pain, but equal chest rise and adequate respirations. Okay. Um, the flight nurse moves over to the man with hip pain. At that point, he is then just being extricated out of the vehicle by firemen and being placed on the stretcher of the paid ambulance. That's important because... Because that paramedic is in doing a cardiac arrest. Because the paramedic's in doing a <laughs> cardiac arrest. And where was the EMT for this entire time? Standing outside the ambulance. Standing outside the volunteer ambulance with the thumb in his ass, mm. right? Um Flight nurse does the visual evaluation, believes he has a fractured pelvis. This patient is conscious alert oriented times four with good color. Uh, flight nurse places him in a pelvic binder and uh, escorts with the paid EMT that's been doing nothing to the paid EMT's ambulance. And now things begin to change. So as the flight paramedic is doing this evaluation on the shortness of breath, the back doors of the volunteer ambulance hurl open. Head pops out. I'm painting you a gorgeous picture. Mm. Just picture this. Doors fly open. Light blasts out. Fireworks <laughs> exploding in the background. Right. Head <laughs> pops out. Screams, get the fuck in here. We don't have an airway. We need you. Wait, time out. Jess, wow. on this is a question for you. When you show up to a scene, if all of the providers are in the ambulance, who typically would like give you a report? Or do you just show up and you're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go? Triage really isn't supposed to be part of our um, It should be done by the time. Exactly. You get we are there for a quick ride. We're supposed to get there. Somebody's Pick handing up, us right. handing us the patient that they've decided is, you know, the most critical right. and we go as quick as possible. So because we may have to make multiple trips in an MCI kind of scenario. Triage should not be is not what we're supposed to be doing there. So like the, listening so, to this call if you showed up to a call like this and the Who triage was for report, I guess. And the triage wasn't done. Like, what would you do? I would look for incident command. Incident command should <laughs> should direct there. us to the most critical patient, and we incident? would fly that that patient out. Uh, we're there for speed, um, and we're also in an MCI scenario. We could come back multiple times, but we can also take patients to. F- different hospitals um, so that we can spread the patients out uh, and not overwhelm one specific hospital. But incident command should really be, triage should already be done. It's not in our, it's not our, in our job description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's on our job description. (laughs) Our purpose is not there to triage. Our purpose is to is, is rapid, rapid yes, go. rapid transport. I mean, triage should be the first thing that's done on these scenes, so you wouldn't be the ones doing it. Yeah. Because hopefully you're not the first ones on the scene. But it's really cool when you are. She tells me that all the time. I mean, do you often have to take a patient off an MCI and then go back and take another? It, MCIs don't happen all that frequently, but uh, it has happened where we've gone back to pick up a second patient from 
and MCI. Can you just picture there's three people in a car accident? The helicopter has to take two. Mm. You're like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. sit here until the helicopter comes back, and then I'll go. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> there's multiple <laughs> aircraft in the area so you can have, you know, a, that's, you know, that's when you have the fire chief sitting the there like the old Vietnam <laughs> radio guy going, all right, stack up every 500 feet and we're going to land and pop and smoke. <laughs> Um, all right. So getting back to this, as I, as I said, the ambulance doors fly open. The paramedic who's been in there for God knows how long at this point is now yelling at the flight medic to come in and assist with an airway. Okay. Apparently they still don't have an airway. So the medic, the flight medic gets into the ambulance. The first thing they do. My respiratory. He was. He was. He was. Oh. But he assessed that patient, assessed that there were no life threats. Right. And, and then, then got pulled away. And then got pulled, then got pulled into the clusterfuck. The, the code ambulance. The and at this, right. maybe the he doesn't know it is the that it's, the patient is still coding. Right. Yeah, he probably, they probably didn't go. I mean, if I'm on scene and I get a crew from a helicopter... I'm going to watch them and be like, what am I doing wrong? And why are they doing this? So if they don't immediately run into this ambulance, shouldn't that clue you off? Like, well, if the flight crew's not that worried about it, why are we? Yeah, but, you know, we also have the to kid, we also so. have to sit there and go, these guys have been at it for at least 20, 25 minutes at this point in time in, in the ambulance. So, I mean, their their thought process is do this, not anything outside of the doors of that ambulance. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I mean, you can hear a helicopter coming. Yes. They're not that quiet. So if they don't walk in in the next three seconds, they'd be like, mm, what's not adding up? I mean, the situational awareness is that their whole world is now inside this ambulance. They're not hearing anything. They're not seeing anything except what's in front of them. And they're probably in scramble mode still. I mean, and that's I, just I think dangerous. Gerard really hit the nail when he said it's the black hole. Yeah. It, everything just gets it's sucked just getting, into that black one hole. Person after the next is getting oh, sucked in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, the flight paramedic gets the story from the uh, the ground paramedic and does the does the best thing ever. They do an initial exam. Right here's the initial exam. So they find ecchymosis to the uh, to the front of the forehead. Uh, stable pelvis. However, there's bruising noted on uh, the iliac crest. Their belief is from like a seatbelt type injury or something like that. Uh, skin is pale, cool, cyanotic. Pupils are dilated, non-reactive. That's that's what they find initially. Um, the was that a hand going? Okay. <laughs> the flight paramedic now wants to have a conversation with his partner. They ask for the flight nurse to come over to the ambulance to have that conversation. Um, Flight medic reports to his partner that an airway is needed. The ventilations are being performed by this pediatric BVM with this infant mask, uh, but they are not effective at all. There's no chest rise seen. There's no nothing that they can see. Uh, They also report that while they were uh, at the head doing an inspection, they find significant crepitus to the back of the neck. And they decided we're going to place a C collar uh, on this patient. And then, as bad as it sounds, I think uh, the flight nurse said a something that I would probably personally say is the flight nurse asked if they really want to go down this road. 
And it sounds terrible, but I really think that it's a brilliant question in that because now Black Hole of Doom, they're about to get sucked into this shit show as well. Now you have, what, seven people in this ambulance? It sounds like, though, the medic just wants to put in an airway. And, then, and see. And, you right. know, and just see. so that they have an, an adequate air, with, you know, and then hopefully move on. Right. And I, I, I want you to, to kind of comment this because that's exactly what uh, this paramedic and or this flight paramedic and this flight nurse uh, have the conversation about. The flight paramedic believes if I just drop a tube in this in this pediatric code, we can say hands off, go transport one of the other patients. Um and that they're kind of feeling cornered into having to do this for the ground crew. I want your kind of thought process, because I have a thought process on the the ground crew. We always talk all the time about, you know, when ground crews are swimming in waters well above their head, they look to the air medical crew to save them. I kind of feel where that is. Like, I feel like that's where this paramedic's sitting at right now. What do you think? So this medic has called for help uh, as a, I cannot imagine this medic ever calling for air medical again if that crew didn't go and help. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, we, we only are, we only get called by, you know, providers. We don't, you know, we don't get dispatched um, by, you know, bystanders. We get dispatched by, providers. Uh, so we, you know, we have to maintain that, um, that good rapport, um, with, with EMS providers. And I think at the very least for this crew, they could place an airway and, and make this, you know, and and then, and then allow the, um, the ground medic to continue care now that they have an airway and, you know, that, that intervention that they were struggling with is is taken care of. Uh, they should should be able to continue. ACLS is the same for us as it is for ground, right? Um, and then the handover handover care. But if you if I think it would have been a very bad <laughs> idea for the flight crew to not do anything to just say that's a good point though that you guys have a whole nother, like just being on a flight crew is like, oh, well, you're dealing with these idiot ground providers, but like you can't, you have to play nice in the sandbox because that's who's calling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point. There's a whole other aspect. Yeah. And that, and that when, when I got this call to review, I, I thought that was a very interesting dynamic that we don't really have to think about. Like if Gerard and I were the second medic on that crew, we would have walked up and been like, no, just, stop well how many times do you walk up to like even or not you guys but how many times does paid providers walk up and there's a volunteer service and who knows what the fuck they're doing and they'll just be like get the fuck off my scene or you know whatever could you imagine if we had to play nice as like paid providers had to play nice with the volunteers you tell me i have a, to all the time you do <laughs> it would be a totally different world though yeah i mean in, in my experience in that realm i mean that, that's pretty much what i would do is you know, even if I see them doing something completely, you know, bass backwards, I would, you know, thank them for what they did. Thank you for the report. Okay, I'll take it from here. Here's what we want to do. Let's get this. And I try to figure out a way to unfuck the whole situation. 
Right, um, fix it, but you right. have to be nice to them. Right. And, and like, oh, you didn't do anything wrong, but... Not get the fuck out of your ambulance, you right. know? Right. <laughs> but even, like, working on a BLS service yeah. where I work, we get that from the ALS providers. Like, yeah. oh, you're just a stupid EMT. Like, okay, fix my problem. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. And, and I and I say, you know, you reap what you sow. If, if, if an ALS provider is going to be like that, then they should expect nothing from their... Yeah. Their... their You've earned the disrespect. Crew at all. But it's yeah. just interesting if you had to go into every call thinking the way that the flight crews do, like, oh, no, we right. need okay. these providers because we need them to call. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it, it's like I, I tell people all the time, you know, in, in classes and stuff, I say, you know, when, when you're out there and, you know, you're responding, you know, either as a BLS volunteer or whatever, and you know, the, everyone likes to use, oh, the jolly volleys, right? Well, I want them to come out next time. So I always tell them, be polite, be courteous, listen to what they have to say. If they're complete morons, whatever. Just thank you, appreciate it, thanks for coming out, and, and I'll see you next time. So I guess my, my question would be, looking back at it now, I, I know I, I always look back on things and, you know, I wouldn't say second guess, but kind of go over them and go over them. Um, Would it be better to yeah put the tube in and just say okay you know vaya con dios, or maybe just explain to the Don't crew either. go with God on your way. Is that Spanish? It is. Yes, Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite thing ever. So your dad never taught you Spanish. And <laughs> Quill. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, yeah, would it be better to go ahead and, you know, do what they want, put the tube in, like you said, you know, just kind of keep the, the process going or would it be better to, I mean, these are all, you know, providers that have gone through the training, especially the paramedic, he has gone through paramedic training. He understands or she, whatever, you know, somewhere in that brain is the information about, this not being the right thing to do. Maybe that realization needed to be made maybe in a very tactful way. Like, So maybe you go in and you, you put the tube in while you're having this discussion of right. like, so, something this kinda, is going to be the last effort. You know, right, there's too many patients. Right, right. Right. Just to kind of snap their heads back. Right. Out just to put back them in the back in the situation. Right. Like this is not the only patient from this right. car accident. Right. This nine-year-old was not driving both cars. So right. we have other patients we need to do something. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, exactly. I'm just saying was, like. They've all gotten pigeonholed. They right. all went into the black hole. Right. Maybe while you're doing that, let's get, let's get back in the game. You know. I didn't hear that. I have a question. When you fly. Do it? Does it have to be with the medic and the nurse to intubate, or could like your medic do it with like ground medic? In an MCI, we can split up. Okay, I, we don't have to stay together, uh, but like the, you know, is t- typically when we go onto a scene, one person carries the monitor, one person carries the bag. Yeah, uh, and then so when we split up, you may have to come together at some point uh, in order for the right person to have the right equipment to do what needs to be done, and I'm sure. Um, in this kind of situation, you know, they, you know, they may have had to come together uh, just to do a quick discussion. And even just transfer gear. Yeah. Trans- even Who just knows what I was just thinking if they had, if that was what they wanted to do and get an airway and be like, okay, this is like, try and pull them out, but you could have 
one person do the airway and the other person start loading up whatever patient they're going to take. I mean, but at the end of the day, you're taking another provider and putting them on a situation that doesn't need. Oh, what are we at? Six providers Seven now? in the ambulance? No, I mean, now they're... Uh, two CFRs, two eight. EMTs. And a medic. Medic. I can't, I can't imagine crew. they all yeah, stayed so. in the ambulance, though, when... You know, when they called the flight medic in, maybe the the CFR stepped out and it's just Mm -hmm. the medic, the two EMTs Mm -hmm. and the flight medic. Yeah, but even then you could be like, okay, one EMT, go do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really? How many people do you need? It's that how many people do you need to do one job kind of thing? But even at this point, it's not the flight crew's job to delegate tasks to people they're not there for that they're and they're not know. there for that but no one has Are established they allowed to command do that? at this well, point and, and that's and that's the, the big problem is is the individual that should be doing that is doing other stuff hold. yeah is tunnel visioned on one thing yep. are you allowed to do that like take over well so it's seeing as how incident command in this situation has not clearly been delegated and triage not completed <laughs> uh then yes if some somebody needs to to organize so i would say yeah the flight crew should probably organize figure out who they're taking and then go in as quick a quick a fashion as possible so moving on so just i would love to be on the scene that you have to tell somebody to stop doing something Again, we have to be nice. So, <laughs> but know, still, try and do. Could things. you imagine my wife, the nicest go, human Jess, being on go, the planet, Jess, go, be like, "Stop it! Yeah, exactly. Get out of your ambulance!" Well, everybody has their thing too I, that overwhelms them, and this this was obviously a case where um, that the the kid pulled on all these uh, yeah, providers' heartstrings, and they. They just they they got sucked in and and they they couldn't they couldn't see the big picture. And on the other hand, too, you have the two other patients who are conscious, alert and oriented. Granted, they have significant injuries, but they're not red tags right now. So maybe they felt they had time to work this code. Mm-hmm. And again, I guess really all roads lead back to not doing a proper scene size up when they got on scene recognizing, hey, we're going to need more people. They could have had another, you know, ALS rig coming yep. you know, with another paramedic who might have, you know, got on scene and said, hey, you know, shit ain't right. We need, mm-hmm. we need to do something about this. We're going to walk yep. right into that ambulance. How many paramedics so how, can we fit in one ambulance? <laughs> so how quickly did this go? Like how, how long from the time of the flight crew arrival to the time that they made patient contact with the... Like, what, what's the time frame? How long did they spend with the two patients? And then how long did they spend discussing the intubation before they actually did it? Five minutes. From what? From the time? From, from uh, aircraft landing report given by EMT to conversation between flight nurse and flight paramedic. Okay. And, now, and then how long was like how long from the time that the medic made patient contact with the pediatric patient to the time of intubation because you don't want to know <laughs> I think we do <laughs> 2 minutes okay because another thing that I you know why didn't the medic change out the mask <laughs> make sure that adequate BLS interventions were being administered before you know and 
maybe go that route, have sent them off with adequate BLS ventilations versus the tube. Because I think, I, I again, I go to Gerard's point of there's so much overwhelming stuff happening. Look at all of the minute things that are going wrong, right? Wrong dosing in fluid resuscitation, wrong dosing in epinephrine, you know, not seeing the fact that there's no SpO2, there's an end title of four, there's no chest rise, they didn't do an initial assessment, they're missing all of the big picture things because they're just, they're doing monkey skills at this point. Do an IV, push an epi. Wait five minutes, push another epi. Do some CPR, push another epi. Do we know anything about the experience level of the paramedic? I do not. I do not. So at this point in time, we're since we're still talking about time, CPR has been done on this pediatric patient from the start of CFR CPR to the point we are now, 30 to 40 minutes. It's a long time, right? Um, and now they've got a tube. So, yes, the fourth epi is pushed by the ground paramedic at this point in time. Again, one milligram, one to 10,000 epi. And at the same point in time, the um, the flight paramedic uh, undoes, undoes the, the C collar, video laryngoscope, puts in a six tube, 18 at the lips, confirm, easy, waveform, awesome, lung sounds, cool. The discussion that the the nurse and the flight paramedic had was that drop a tube, give it back to them, let's go transport one of the other patients on the scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe that hip fracture, maybe that shortness, what is whichever one, right? So <laughs> the flight nurse wants some backing, calls their medical director, because you guys have different medical directors than like ground EMS. The flight nurse calls medical control and simply asks permission for turnover of care back to the lower level provider, because technically it's turning it down, not up in their case. Um, And just like what happened to you and me, Gerard, during the phone call, rhythm change, a Sisley to PEA or pulseless electrical activity. And then pulses come back. So ROSC is obtained. And a set of vital signs comes back with heart rate sinus tack at 134, a end uh, title CO2 at 34, and a SpO2 of 94%. And this is the choice of the flight team at that point in time to just steal this patient load them onto the aircraft, puff it to the 25 minutes to the uh, the pediatric trauma center. So uh, the flight crew switches them to the vent, uh, 22 breaths a minute, moves to the aircraft after that's done. Initial BP is 84 over 50. A uh, An IO is started. Uh, fluid continued via the bolus method instead of just the, we're going to let it drip. Um, BG's taken. Uh, BG of 333, a, uh, a warm lactated ringers is started. And what? Lactated ringers, it's... Isotonic solution. Yeah. <clears throat> but better. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, due to the uh, hypotension, 
uh, and the BP dropping to uh, 55 over 30. They, uh, the flight team starts a leave-a-fed drip at uh, five mics per minute, and that raises it to around the mid-60s over 30, like 39, 38, 40-ish. So uh, sinus tag is maintained in the 130s, end titles maintained in the mid-30s, and SpO2 maintains above 94%. Kid makes it to the pediatric trauma center. Awesome. Surgeons take him um, and decide that CPR has been done for way too long. This child's sadly gotten anoxic brain injury, but good things that come out of it. Organs. Oh, yeah, and the... You can just say things. You don't have to point to it. Like internal decapitation is what you. That's have. what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and ultimately, you know, the good thing that comes out of it is this child does become an organ donor. But um, you know, so out of all of this, there's one silver lining, right? Um, the pelvic fracture back at the scene is actually airlifted by the second aircraft uh, that came to the scene, thanks to. The flight team. Really? And um, yeah. and the two females, the passenger that had the shortness of breath and the uh, the driver who ultimately had that, that minor head injury were just transported by the ground people that were there in the first place. So both to the uh, to the trauma center that the pedi- the, the pediatric went to. So there's there's a lot to digest. We've digested most of this call. Um is there anything that you guys that are that's screaming out that we didn't really touch base on? I know we didn't touch base on like the meds and why we don't give a milligram of epi to a pediatric that I mean that you know, would give a, a rock a pulse. So it doesn't surprise me that they got pulses back, but uh so it didn't do anything for the child. My but. thoughts too. Pediatric cardiac arrest is related to hypoxia unless proven otherwise. Yes. And this was obviously a case of Hypoxia, because mm-hmm. uh, as soon as they got the ET tube in they and provided adequate ventilations, they got pulses back. Yep. And we've talked about that before. We've we've given studies on how, you know, significant. And look at, again, we go back to the first rhythm is a systole that they find them. And we've also discussed the fact that when you're hypoxic, severe hypoxia, you code. Where do you go from there? A systole. So, you know, even there's another you know, tie in that we've had those discussions before. So, um, yeah, granted, I, yeah, this kid had a internal decapitation. So that also was, you know, but, right. uh, you know, that, that could have caused a f- asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a, it's a traumatic anoxic. Yeah. Combo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and again, if, even if the CFRs or the initial EMTs did, an assessment instead of just jumping right in and being like, I'll take over compressions, move them over here. Maybe they would have found that before the 30 minute mark, you know, um, to sit there and go, well, maybe this is not life sustaining, right? It goes back to that whole black tag kind of thing. But again, I mean, it, it makes me wonder if there was another more critical patient on scene. Like I would hope that they would recognize that, they need to focus on the adult that still has a chance versus the pediatric that's still black I don't think they would. I think these guys were just. I they think they got lucky in. that they, they were lucky. yellow tags yeah. and that potentially and probably had decline. and probably had good outcomes yeah. versus having a critical patient that actually made a difference that they did not provide care mm-hmm. that they focused on the black tag. 
I agree. But, you know, we... I, I when I heard about this call, I really wanted to review it solely because of the black holeness factor of the pediatric. This is why New York State does that same question every year on their test. You know, which which one do you treat first? And it's always the pediatric. But it's six year old in cardiac arrest or whatever. Hard. And it's I really think it's hard. an easier decision to make if it was an adult that Absolutely. was ethnic impulsive. So it, I get it. When you have a kid, nobody wants to say, like, we're not working this kid because mm-hmm. it's not worth it. Like, I get it. But at the same time, you have to focus where you're needed. Right. And if this was, it, again, if all you do is change a couple factors, make this two patients, you know, and you have two ambulances and a helicopter coming. Okay, cool. You guys but go over at, there and do some stuff. I mean, even if you change it and don't make it an MCI, at 40 minutes... You haven't been bagging them properly. But they don't know that. They didn't realize that or they would have fixed it. Yikes. You know? And and that's, again, something that we talk a lot about proper ventilatory management. I've said it a hundred million times. We all suck at bagging patients. We all think we're brilliant at it. This just shows that we all suck at bagging. And you then know. the other thing that uh, I guess if you want to call it a well, I mean they went down the you know, the CPR route and everything, so they're doing it anyway. So you have you know trauma and an arrest. Did they ever dart the kid? Nope. So I mean that would be one other thing that uh, that comes to my mind is that wasn't done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, bilateral decompressions yeah, right. right. is more to do. I'm curious. Uh, I'm also curious just what type of CPR they were doing. I know it was manual, but was it 30 and two? Was it 15 and two? There's we. I never get a accurate description on whether it was, you know. I mean, there's a pediatric patient CPR, pediatric two rescuers. That's 15 and two. Even on you know an eight nine year old. I'm wondering if they were doing the 30 and two or the 15 and two. We don't know, but it's something else that, you know, is, is a good reminder for us in the field listening to this, you know, to me, it it, it almost sounds like, yeah, I know it, it's, it's easy to say, you know, Oh my God, they're stupid. They're idiots. And, it, and then there's, I mean, you think, think about it. And it, to me, when you look at the whole thing, uh, it almost seems like there was just that initial, you know, flicker of panic, mm-hmm. and then the next crew that showed up, it spread to them, and then and then it's it just, just the followed pucker. suit. It's the pucker, right? Yep. And At the like same you time, said, too, it's that black hole. isn't it? Yeah. In the protocol, you cannot terminate on a pediatric patient, terminate resuscitation efforts on a pediatric pediatric patient in the field without either consulting medical control or probably. Transporting, I believe it is. Really, even medical, for trauma, I believe it's medical control, isn't it? So, granted, an MCI sure. changes things, and provider judgment, uh, you know, c- should come into effect here. But if the providers are thinking that in the back of their minds that hey, we can't terminate this, then that but would also be a factor in why they're age eighteen or older. But if they didn't start, it would have been a non-issue. Yeah. So it says on on pediatric, consider calling medical control for termination of resuscitation or initiative transport after 20 minutes of CPR. 
So, and that's that's at least in our local. I mean, who knows? Listening in a different twenty minutes, listening in a different state, it might be completely different. Um, but at least here, you know, the the protocols we work under says twenty minutes. You know, so they could have called after twenty minutes and said, "Hey, this is what happened." Blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, they you didn't know. have a definitive airway even after no. 20 minutes. So they didn't have a, a key intervention that I'm sure if they called medical control would have said you need get to an airway. get right. an airway. At least right. get an airway. Yep. So thinking thinking again on stuff maybe they they had, they didn't have, we don't know, is rescue airway right we the the information that i got from this call is that there were multiple intubation attempts i can only assume multiple as i can take two and then pass it to gerard and he can take two and then rescue airway but that was the only paramedic on scene right until so you know if i'm me in that situation two rescue airway exactly where was the whole rescue airway now we had discussed off off mic. Our agency doesn't carry a rescue Small airway that tiny. That tiny. Right. So maybe they were in the same boat. They just didn't have the option. I don't know. They know? might have just not have had the option. But why don't we carry rescue airways for pediatrics? At least in our area. Good question. What the real question. answer? Costs money. Yeah. Everything like costs money. I, think, I know, I think, but I, it costs money, and there, we don't do enough to warrant it. I mean, like. Yeah. As terrible as that sounds, that's exactly why we don't have yeah, them. It's true. I've learned anytime you ask, why don't we in EMS? It, it's always money related. Money. Yeah. Yep. They don't want to pay well, for I mean, it. And then there's another good thought, you know, for down the road, especially for, you know, those of us that practice in this state and other states that have similar protocol. You have a pediatric arrest or any kind of pediatric uh, thing where you might need to intubate, and it might not be a bad idea to call them and mm-hmm. get them flying towards you. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's true for any respiratory, really. Like, they, any airway issue, you should have the helicopter in the back of your mind. Especially for those that don't have RSI yeah, or don't, you yeah. know, for there's sure. a pediatric patient that might crap out on you, you know, maybe an asthmatic or whatever that we don't have. Yeah. You know, because, again, we all suck at intubation because we don't ever do it. So here's the perfect example of we don't practice peed airways. This provider missed peed airways, you know. We don't have a backup device, so what do we do? No, Our backup it. device is the helicopter. The helicopter. Yeah, and well, yeah, and we are called for that yeah. for airway management frequently. Yeah, by ground, but also by some critical access well, hospitals. hospitals. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I've seen it in the hospital too. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, and just because you call them doesn't mean like you guys jump on the ambulances and we'll transport yeah, in we, the right situation. Absolutely. Right? I mean, no. Uh, one of the places I worked uh, before, and actually two places I worked before. Um, you know, no RSI capability at all. And like they were my go-to for, you know, the air medical people were my go-to for basically anything with airway. Like as soon as there was an airway issue, it was, Hey, is the crew at the airport? Okay, let's mm-hmm. go there. You know? Yeah. And those are, and that's, you know, that's that great things yeah. outside the box kind of stuff that I mean, you got to think about. Think as of a that when you're far out on an ambulance and be like, Oh, I'm going to go to the closest hospital so they can secure the airway. And then we'll, you know, go yeah. to the appropriate spot from there. Why not call Aeromedical and then you can just go to the appropriate facility yeah. mm-hmm. the get-go. Yeah. Yep. Bring respiratory to you and then... Right. Yeah. And then run. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Fast. But yep. You know, it is funny about the critical access because in the same agency, we had one of those little critical access uh, uh, hospital... Clinics. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I'm not trying to diminish what they do, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there were times they would call us down yeah. to intubate, you know, cause we were working out of the back of the hospital or go over and get the air medical crew and, you know, bring them over so they can RSI this patient. You know, it was, it, it, I've seen it done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's know your resources, I guess. Know your resources. Yeah. And you know, we're Do a good scene size up. Right. You know, and and don't be afraid to utilize certain resources like air medical. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that are like, I won't call them or, you know, refuse to get them put on the county standby policy or, or threaten to you fire know, you if you ever use them. You know, yeah. Or, oh, yeah, you could just drive them because you're close to the hospital. Please. I'm there's not going to no take benefit. them to the local. You right. could just get. No, there's absolutely a benefit. Yeah, there's always a benefit. Higher, higher trained. Exactly. Higher yep. trained. You know, so if that's if that's, you know, your kind of boat. Push back on the boat a little bit. You know, if it's we always say what's best for the patient. That's what we do. If the best thing for the patient is a quick ride with RSI capabilities, pelvic binders, meds that we don't even know what they do. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with them. It's a whole bag of voodoo magic. <laughs> you no, have voodoo magic? They really do. That's totally. <laughs> it's true. Like, like for your the agency that you work for, uh, that you fly with, uh, I know from speaking with you and other providers that work there, you know, I have to assume it's the same for other places too, you know, in the country that you'd rather be called scramble get in the air get halfway there and then be called off then to not be called at all and then at the very last second hey by the way we got a shit show for you yeah you definitely know. here save this right here save me <laughs> i'd rather be put on standby get going to the to the scene and and get turned down but but also if i you know get put on standby early so that i am available so that our resource is available to you immediately in a timely manner it doesn't make any sense to use air medical if you're going to waste time waiting for an LZ, waiting, you know, for us to arrive because you didn't call until after your assessment, after you decided, you know, that, that the you know, okay, I really do need help. You know, if you have enough information on dispatch, you know, or, you know, the earliest that you can put us on standby, the better so that the, the time saving is, is you know is really um, maximized, and don't be one of those providers that like the county or whoever your dispatch center is. You know, puts air medical on standby on your dispatch, and then as you're driving, woo woo woo, you're like, yeah, cancel the bird, and you've not even stepped out right. of your ambulance yet because I've been there, and when I was an EMT, I had a paramedic that would do that all the time, mm. and I would be like. You're gonna screw yourself. You're just yeah, you're, you're just gonna, gonna screw yourself one idiot. time. So yeah. I, it, we, surprisingly, we didn't get along. So I used to just <laughs> I used to he used to pick up the radio, be like, yeah, you can cancel, you know, helicopter, blah blah blah, and I'd be like, so I'd pull up my phone and be like, hey, county, you can put them back on standby. And then hang up <laughs> as I'm driving. <laughs> that has happened a lot, actually, where we've been. Stood down and then, you know, redispatched, redispatched 15, 20 minutes later. Yeah, and, and, by the time, the and, yep, and by the time we get there, you know, patient could have been gone, gone into the hospital by the mm-hmm. time that we get there. Yeah. yeah. I won't even do that. Like our county will dispatch um, air medical based on dispatch information. So like. 
nursing home in our facility, and just about any person that falls will meet that criteria. And I still won't cancel you no, I until I get there, like just in case. <laughs> usually it'll be that one there's day. a really great demons, right, right there, though. <laughs> yeah, usually it'll be you know my partner you know is radio crackling. Uh, what's your pleasure with the helicopter? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can send them down. Now. Yep. You know? Oh hey, <laughs> just wave them. as you cancel them. They're there. <laughs> No, We're know. starting to run out of fuel. We won't make it to the hospital <laughs> if you don't turn us down. Can you make a decision now? <laughs> but no, I, th- I think one of the, I mean, a really good example that people who listen to the podcast will see is, is our very first podcast was yeah. you know, the, that tractor trailer where, you know, the the paramedic called early or didn't even call early. It was the automatic dispatch. Mm-hmm. And I while love they, that. While they were still en route, they said, you know, the uh, air medical accepted the mission and that paramedic said, yeah, yeah. launch him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And then it turned out to be a blessing, you know, when he got there. So, yeah. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it because it, yeah. it was a, you know, the air medical was able to be used on scene, yeah. you know, and uh, with that extrication and, and provide care that we couldn't. So I think that was that that's a really good episode to listen to, especially with air medical in mind. Yeah. Um, anything else for the table to add? I think this is one of our longer episodes, but I think this call is absolutely worth it. Um, anything, anything, just, we hit it. Yeah. I mean, just the overall, I mean, like I said, you know, it's easy to beat people up afterwards. Um, I've been on the receiving end of it and, uh, you know, unless you were actually there on the scene, um, you know, again, like, I don't know anything about this, this paramedics uh, level of experience, you know, it could have been fresh out of the box, you know, for Mm -hmm. all I know. Um, I, w- I would hope they're not a seasoned paramedic. Um, and I would I would hope that, you know, as we say, any time that there's a difficult call on this show, that they learn from it. They look back and they go, maybe I could have done something a little differently. Yeah. Maybe if I didn't go into that truck in the first place, maybe something would have, you know, come out a little differently no, I mean, I've, you know I've, I've, i mean I've, I've seen season season medics that i trust that i yeah. you know provide good care make that same decision yeah. mm-hmm. so i get it I mean, i've been on call where you know you get there and everyone's yelling for you to come take care of this one person and you go running over and yeah that person's dead mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, no you got it wrong yep but but it takes it takes somebody you know nine year old and you get there and everyone's yelling, hey, we have a kid in cardiac arrest. And then that's all the information you get. You know, uh, I guess I'm not going to. It's, it's tough to not, say no to that. Yeah. Without, you know, like if that was me, you feel like a dick afterwards going, yeah. no, there's a lot I'm of, just going to go that way. There's a lot of human error uh, to go around here, but. uh We live, we learn, right? We practice medicine. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to end it there, guys. Um, we will see you in February. Have a good uh, rest of the January. I'm sure the snow will be flying soon. And uh, next episode, we are going to be talking all about EMS education. So I think that's going to be a interesting uh, debate. Needed. 
I don't think it'll be heated. Gerard won't pound the table too hard. Mm-hmm. I'll just put my arm out. Just get the pads ready. <laughs> we'll give him a pillow. <laughs> we'll, we'll have Boba Fett. Well, the, plus, uh, you, we're gonna have we're gonna have a very special guest who I think is certified in literally everything under the sun, <laughs> and uh, he's a state fire instructor as well as a uh, EMS instructor. So I think coming with that education experience, being on the learning end of it. Uh, will add a different dynamic to the to the conversation as well. So, uh, till next time, guys, stay safe out there. So much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like more information on the podcast or to send us a call to review, visit medicmaterials.com forward slash podcast. To learn more information, like us on Facebook at Medic Materials EDU or watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.